right, week four, we are finishing up our Proverbs uh, uh, series today, uh, and then next week starts our Christmas series, and the last series of the year, uh, and then we get to 2024. Isn't that crazy? Uh, it's nuts. It feels like this year has just flown by, um, and so uh, the... There's a lot in Proverbs. I mean, I, listen, I could do probably months and months and months on end on, you know, just all the, you know, these little Proverbs. And, and so it's hard to kind of like figure out what do I want to, I got, I'm going to do four weeks of Proverbs. How am I going to do this? And so as I got to the last week, um, honestly, it wasn't but a couple of days ago, I was just reading in my Bible and, and reading through some stuff. And I come across this, this scripture in Proverbs, and it struck me, and, and, and it reminded me of a scripture that was in the beginning of Proverbs, and this, the message just kind of formed out. So can I, believe, can I tell you that I believe that life comes down to the standards you set for the life and live it out? Life comes down to the standards that we set and the way that we live them out. We all have standards, even if you're like, oh, I don't know what my standards are. We create these natural standards, these natural habits, these natural uh, parameters of our life that we would call our core values, and that is what we live by. We live by these things, and, and I believe that so many times we think that because we understand something that we have wisdom. You know, at the beginning of the, the, the series, I said that, that wisdom isn't just this idea of smarts, it's how you use it. You can have all the knowledge in the world, but not know how to use it. Knowing stuff doesn't make you smart, it's, it's what you do with it, it's how you live your life. I'll go back to the Charles Spurgeon quote that I quoted the very first week. Wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are a greater fool for it. There is no fool so great a fool as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. To know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. Wisdom and truth are only as powerful and useful as the source from where it comes from. Knowledge, I mean, we can all obtain knowledge. Google has helped a lot of people think they're smart. You catch that, 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 that think? Googling something doesn't make you smart. It may give you knowledge. It may give you an idea of where to start, or it may give you a thought process, but, but there's a lot of people that think that they have this knowledge and this wisdom, but wisdom and truth, are they're only as powerful as the source from which we get the knowledge from. How many have ever heard this statement, your truth? right? Well, well, that's your truth. That's what you believe. That's, that's, that's what you have set your, your, your life on. But can I tell you that there is no more dangerous a statement than that statement right there of your truth? It may sound good, but it is so damaging. It is dangerous, and it's a dangerous lie that makes sinful lifestyles okay and accepted by both society and God in the beholder's mind. I want you to think about that. You know, we can, we can bemoan and, 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 and talk about the depravity of the world uh, all day long. First of all, are we really all that shocked that sinners sin? I mean, that's, that's kind of the unique aspect of this is that we're shocked when the world doesn't love Jesus. The Bible said they won't like me. There, there's many a people that will, will not like me. And because they don't like me, they won't like you. 
So we, we shouldn't be shocked of depravity. We shouldn't be shocked of the sin. Where, where it really gets me is when the church starts to open their doors to it. When the church starts to shift so that they can be liked and, and be a part of societal norms and be a part of, be a part of the, the in crowd. Now, there's a vast difference between preaching hellfire and brimstone and, and uh, condemning everybody and pointing them to Jesus's love and letting him change their heart so that they may know the truth. Those are two different thought processes, but they, they kind of, the goal is the same. We want people to know Jesus, but we don't, we don't help people know Jesus when we condemn them. Matter of fact, Jesus was never condemning. He was, he was straight up. He was truthful. He was honest. I would say sometimes he was very harsh uh, because he, he didn't hold any punches. If you look at the, the words of Jesus, when he would meet people, he would say that you need to hate your mother and father. <laughs> but these were not words that he gave to his disciples. These were people that he met for the first time when he was speaking, and he said, it must look like hate. And so, so you understand, and I'm sure you've all heard this before, uh, uh, that, that the word that he uses and the way that he uses isn't that you hate your mom and dad, but that the love for your mom and dad, the love for your family, the love for your friends will, can't even come in comparison to how much you love God. And these were the words Jesus, Jesus would say. So he was very, very upfront. He was very honest. He was very real with people, but he was loving and kind and, and also uh, guiding and leading. He was conviction and not condemnation. And the problem is with your truth is it says that God's truth doesn't hold merit and weight anymore. And so this morning, that's what we're going to kind of look at, that there is a standard to which truth and wisdom are measured. How many would say that they're, they're good with tools and building stuff and working with their hands and, right, you know? Okay, a few of us. Now, now here's the thing, okay? It, we believe in measurement system. And, and, you know, can't go to Home Depot without this on your right? It's like outlawed. You even, I don't care if it's DeWalt or Milwaukee or if it's the 25 cent one from the dollar store. I don't care. But you can't walk into a Home uh, Depot or a Lowe's or, you know, Ken's at all without having one of these on there. It's like, it's like sacrilegious. I don't care if you're going to just buy, uh, you know, something for the TV. You got to have it. Because what if you need to measure something? Tim the Toolman Taylor, right? Now, what if I told you that you know, I, I think about how many watch those DIYs on like Facebook reels and stuff like that. And they just start cutting stuff and you're like, what the heck? You can't, you can't just start cutting things. You got to measure it. You got to know, measure, you know, measure twice, cut once. Oh. Could you imagine if I said that, that right here, right now, there's a standard to which we need to measure things, but I'm not going to give you the, the measurement, the measuring tape to measure it, but it's going to be life or death. Right, I, Mason, come up here. He had, he had no clue he was going to do this. Uh, he was me. <laughs> All right. So, so turn and kind of face them so they can see. Yeah, about right there. Okay. Now, I want you to put your hands up like this, and I want you, nope, nope, like, like this. There you go. Okay. Caught a fish that big. Um, and so I want you to guess what 12 inches are, 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 is. Okay. 
Okay, now I'm going to tell you that this is life or death. This, this, could, this could be the difference between you getting into heaven or hell. Where, where are we going from? Because your thumbs are inside. The outside? Oh, 14 inches. On the inside, you'd be like 11 and a quarter. Either way, but, it, but it's his truth. It's, listen, if I, I said one foot, that was his truth. So for him, that's his, his mode of, of measurement. That's the, the way that he's going to measure. If I, if I said, take that foot, now lay it on a, on a piece of wood and mark the line and cut it, for him, that's his one foot. And then if he, now, now he doesn't remember where it was, so now he's got to redo it. And so now he's got one foot that's like this, and one foot's like this, and one foot's like this. When, when, when we're given the capability to, to know the standard by which every board should be cut, one foot. Thank you. So here's that, that, that illustration just, and, and there's a, a, even a, a, another great illustration about it in the fact that, you know, we have doctors. Any, anybody in here ever done open, not had open heart surgery, but done open heart surgery? Yeah, I, you know, me neither. Why? Because we don't know the standards to which the operation needs to happen. You know, if, if you were going to have open heart surgery, the, the difference between a millimeter to the right and a millimeter to the left could be the difference between whether you live or die. I mean, they wear all of these like super binocular type things on their heads and they're, they're working with like these little needle guys and, you know, somebody just walks in and says, ah, I could do it. I stayed at a Holiday Inn last night. Like, no, I don't trust you. Because you haven't been trained to the standards of which my life is on the line. And the point that I really want to make in all of this is that there is a standard, just like if you're going to build a house, there is a standard to which we live our lives. We would not want a house built by somebody who doesn't know how to use a measuring tape. Just so you know, you wouldn't. Okay, just like we wouldn't want to trust our life's work and purpose to somebody who doesn't understand the standards of our life. So many times we entrust our heart. We entrust our, uh, our options of, of choices. We entrust the decisions that we are making to people who don't hold to the same standard and know the same God and know that same uh, feeling of being in God's presence, we trust them with our life. The question I continually get when I read through the book of Proverbs is where's the source of truth in my life? And what do I put my faith and foundation on? So let's go to Proverbs. Proverbs 30, verse five says this. Every word of God proves true. Amen? Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to all who come to him for protection. Such a simple truth. And the interesting part is you get to the end of the book, Proverbs 30, and there's actually one more chapter, Proverbs 31, but we get to the end with Proverbs 30 and we see that, and it reminded me of a proverb in chapter 2. Uh, Proverbs 2, verse 1 through 8 says, My child, listen to what I say and treasure my, my commands. Tune your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. 
Search for them as you would silver. Seek them like hidden treasures. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord, and you will gain knowledge of God. For the Lord grants wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He grants a treasure of common sense to the honest, and he is a shield to those who walk with integrity. He guards the path of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. In essence, it's, it's the same thing that Proverbs 30 says. Proverbs 30 says, every word of God is true. And Proverbs 2 says, God grants good things from his mouth to our heart. So I have two thoughts this morning. And the first one is this. Determine your source of truth. You have got to Know that you know that you know your source of truth. And I know we would all say, oh, it's the Bible. Oh, it's God. Um, but I really want you to sit and ponder that. Not the cliche, easy answer that God is your source. But that do you really, 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 really believe it? Do you really, really, really live as God is the source of your truth? Not one religion, New Age teaching, or philosophy carries the same standards and historical accuracy of Jesus. Not one. Jesus is the most historically written about person in all of history. And people go, well, yeah, but that's because of the Bible. No, I'm talking about outside of the Bible. He was written about uh, by many Jewish philosophers and historians outside of, of what we have as our canonized Bible. He was written about uh, by many European uh, historians as, as time progressed, and he has been written uh, more and more and more about as life has progressed through many authors and pastors. He is the most historically written about person in all of humanity. How do we know that the Bible is true, though? I mean, because that's one of the questions we get. I know I get a lot. If, if you're a Christian, I feel like it's probably one of the questions that non-believers ask. How do, we, how do I know? How do I know that he's no different than Muhammad? How do I know that he's no different than, than uh, Buddhist uh, or, or any other of the millions of different religions? Or even better yet, you know, because then you get into, well, how do I know that the God that you serve is no different than the God uh, of the Mormons or the Jehovah Witnesses. I mean, they say they serve Jesus. And if we don't know, two things. One, if we don't know our source of truth, they will convince us of their source. Because you, you, listen, every, how many have ever like took it, taken time to talk to a Jehovah Witness or a, or a Mormon? They can make you believe what they believe if you don't know your source. Because they are good. Why? Because they know their source. It may be wrong, but they know their source. These kids that go out on the two-year uh, mission strips, they know their book of Mormon, like the back of their hand. And they know about the Bible as well. I mean, they, do, they say they read the Bible, but they'll get you believing that, that Mormon's got a, 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 a planet waiting for them. Oh, yeah. And what do you say? How do you articulate back to them? Most Christians don't know how to have a conversation with somebody outside of Jesus loves you. And, and if you ever want to look up it, uh, look up apologetics. It'll tell you, it'll teach you how to talk with each uh, religion and how to not argue with them, but to combat false with truth. 
Uh, if, you, if you have the Right Now Media, which hopefully all of y'all have, all you have to do is go to the little search bar, apologetics. I guarantee you there's like a handful of video teachings on apologetics that'll teach you, hey, how do I speak to my Mormon friend or my atheist friend or my agnostic friend or my, uh, my Islamic friend? But when you don't know your source, you don't want to speak on it because your source will determine what you speak and how you live and how you think. Can I tell you that science constantly is proving the Bible right while it's trying to prove it wrong? <laughs> Many scientists go out to prove that, that, that the Bible is wrong and there's not this there and there's not this there. And they end up, uh, if you do the studies, they end up actually proving the Bible correct. It's amazing, and it's, and it's so awesome to watch. And, and so many scientists and so many, uh, uh, Lee Strobel, the, the lawyer who wrote books, how many have ever read The Case for Christ? He literally wrote that out of a disdain for Christianity and wanted to prove that God didn't exist and ended up proving that God existed and came to know Christ. And we've got to know our source. Because that's what, that's what Proverbs 30 says. It says that every word is true. So why would you want anything else dictating the course of your life, your emotions, politics, people's opinions, social media, whatever it is? Why would you want anything else dictating the course of your life and being the source of your truth outside of the thing that has been steady and constant since the beginning of time? And if you don't, listen, here's the problem is that there's many believers that don't believe that this is the inherent truth of God. One in four Christians, 25% of believers that call themselves believers, don't believe that this is completely true. Don't believe this is completely true. Can I tell you that if you don't believe it's all true, then, it's, then it means nothing to you. We don't get to cherry pick. We don't get to like certain scriptures and dislike other scriptures. You can, you can not understand other scriptures. You can not understand certain things and say, God, show me. Ex ex explain this to me. You can, you can be unsure. And, and can I say even this? Um, I want to make sure that I say this correctly because I've, I've heard pastors say it in a way where we try to become God in how we speak. If given to our own emotions and our own human, human thought process, there are things that we can disagree on with God, but that doesn't mean it's untrue. When people ask me about homosexuality, if they expect a full-fledged 100% understanding of God's word and will for that, I'm not God. So I can understand the human emotion side of them saying, well, but it feels right. It may feel right, but here's what I know. That my source of truth states that God made man and female. And he said that there was a purpose to being male and female. And that purpose was to procreate and to build the earth with, with people that will love Jesus. And, and, to, and to, to have that stability. And, and it's no different than if somebody's running around with 100 girlfriends uh, throughout the course of their life. Or, or they're cheating on their, their spouses. To me, it's, it's, it's sin. Sin is sin. I don't look at, at, at people in that community any differently than I do anybody else that maybe have a gossip problem. Why? Because my source says that it is the standard of which I is to live is Jesus and his word. And Proverbs 30 says, every word is true. Now, 
you can go a little far on that um, because then you'll get questions like, okay, well then, Scott, you're sinning right now. You're wearing mixed clothing. I'm pretty sure this isn't 100% anything. Because if you look at you know, Leviticus and, and the Old Testament writings, they, they had to wear 100% pure certain things or certain things. And, and here's the thing. I want you to understand is that when we look at this, because this, these are the things that people are going to try to like get you into that. They're not going to have a conversation about Jesus' grace and the ability to save our, our, our souls and, and eternity before they start to see if they actually can trust your source. Do you know your stuff? <laughs> And so people will say silly things like, well, pastor. I get this all the time at the police station. So you're a pastor, right? What's the scripture that I'm like, no, this, I'm not a, listen, I'm not a Bible encyclopedia. Let me Google it. <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll tell them, let's pull out my phone and let's look it up. Let's, let's look it up. Because they'll go to the silly things in the Bible. I say silly things. There's no such thing. As, but they'll, they'll pull out like these cherry picked verses and say, well, what about this? And if you don't have an answer, they go, well, then why should I listen to you? Can I tell you that sometimes the greatest answer is, you know what? I don't know specifically about that, but let me study it and I'll come back to you. Instead of trying to make something up. Probably six out of 10 times, that's what I tell people. That's a really great question. I don't know right this moment, but let me go up and, and study that so that I can get back to you. Because listen, you're not, nobody is going to memorize this front to back. If you do, please come take my job because you'll probably know how to speak it better than I do. But the reality is, is that I don't have to memorize this up here if every time I open it up, I am planted in here. Because when I've got the Holy Spirit speaking through this book into my life, then all of a sudden, he will remind me of the scriptures that will challenge me or correct me or encourage me or equip me in the moment that I need it. When I'm feeling weak and tired, if I run to my source, God, instead of running to other sources that are not God, then he's going to remind me, you're beloved. This is right. This is wrong. This is what you need to do. But the problem is, is that we don't run to our source when we have times of struggle. We run to the things that are easy, and we find ourselves doing things that we wouldn't rather do when we're in the presence of God. And connected to our source. Every word of God is true. When we believe that, our lives change. When God's word soaks in here and not just up here, our lives change. So the second thought is this. Come to God and let him guard and protect you. Because that's the second part of uh, Proverbs uh, 30 and 5. It says, he is a shield to all who come to him for protection. And the end of Proverbs 2, he says it too. He says, he guards the path of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. That should be, that's like, uh, you know, uh, old school Pentecostal we call, that's a shouted out moment, right? That when you come to God, he is faithful to protect when you come to God, he is faithful to guard and guide you in the ways that your life is supposed to go. You want purpose? It's on the path. You want blessing? It's on the path. 
You want forgiveness and to be able to forgive others? It's on the path. You want healing? It's on the path. You want his presence? It's on the path that he promised to guard you with. But you can't be on that path if you're not choosing to be connected to the source. It's like getting on a plane bound for Hawaii and not understanding why you're not in Italy. I planned my trip. I'm ready to go. I've learned how to speak Italian. Yeah, but you got on the wrong source plane. And you ended up in the wrong place. Well, yeah, but, but, but the world just told me any path will get me to heaven. Okay. Well, Hawaii is not Italy. And it may be beautiful, but it wasn't your intended path. We blame God for why we get certain places in our life because we allowed ourselves to get off of the path that is guarded and protected by God. And then we want to blame God because it's easy. And I've been there and I've done that. I was 18 years old blaming God. Because I made mistakes, because I screwed up. And when I had to move from California to Texas my senior year after my parents had left me in California, um, listen, don't, don't look at them. They did the right thing. I did the wrong thing, okay? It's not like they played hide and go seek and just left for Texas, okay? Um, I told them I wasn't moving with them. They said as long as I could find a person that they would trust to have me for that year, they would let me stay. And so I stayed with my youth pastor. Um, To tell you how great my youth pastor was, they lived in a one-bedroom apartment with him, his wife, and their two uh, kids, and they took me in. I screwed up because I got a taste of freedom (laughs) at 17. You know, what going out and not coming home. Could you imagine living in a one-bedroom apartment and somebody comes in at 2 in the morning? Yeah. It's a good recipe to die. Um, just doing whatever you want. Because I was young and dumb. I wasn't doing bad things. I wasn't out doing drugs and, 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 and just you know, gallivanting. I was hanging out with friends that were all from church and all that. But I was being disrespectful and rude. And, 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 and they gave me many opportunities. And I, you know, we had good moments. We had bad moments. But at the end of it, they said, you know, look, we just think that, that you need to go back to Texas and, and finish out your school year. And I was mad at God for my choices. Because it was easier to be mad at God and blame the thing that nobody can explain away rather than to say, I got off the path that was guarded and protected and purposed. And I was arrogant about it, too, because I was like, well, God, this is your fault. Now, I wasn't willing to walk away from him. So I said, God, I'll go to church if I can play bass in the band. I was telling, uh, <laughs> I was telling Aaron this story uh, a couple weeks ago that I told God, I will go to church if I can play bass in the band, because at the time, that's the only instrument I could play. And uh, I loved playing music. And so what did I do? I picked the biggest church in my area to go to. 6,000 members. Go to church on Sunday morning. I'm like, yeah, this is great. This is awesome. This, this, is, this is my vibe. Then I go to a youth group. It's got 400 kids. Okay, I walk in. There's a guy named Marcus. He's standing at the door. He's one of their leaders. He became a good friend of mine. And, uh, and so he gets, so mind you, there's multiple high schools, multiple middle schools um, in the area. This is North Austin area. And uh, I he goes, what are, you, what are your hobbies? What are you into? I said, oh, I play music. I play bass. And he goes, okay, cool. doesn't really say anything. And he shows me to some people that go to the same school that I, so I, so I start to make friends right there. 
And uh, this crazy person comes running up to me after youth group that night. Hey, <laughs> what's up? You know, I hear you play bass. Yeah. Would you join the worship team? We don't have a bass player. There's 400 flipping kids in this room. How do you not have one that knows how to play a four-stringed instrument? No offense to all the bass players, but it's the easiest uh, instrument to learn. Not the easiest to master, but the easiest to learn. Like, seriously, you don't have one bass player in a room of 400 kids? So then, I, now, now God's showing off, right? So I have to come up with another excuse. They broke my bass on the flight here, which they did. That wasn't a lie. They threw my bass guitar, and I watched them break it, and it would no longer work. Big church. We'll buy one. I'm running out of excuses here, God. They didn't even know me. They didn't know if I was saved. They didn't know if I loved Jesus. Just let, let's jump, jump up on the team. But can I tell you that it was God's grace saying, hey, although your pride has got you off track, although you made mistakes, I'm going to give you open doors to walk through. And the only way that's not going to happen is if you continually shut them. But I am not going to give up on you. When he says that he guards the path for your purpose, for your, for your protection. And, he, and, and look at what it says in Proverbs 2. What, what I love about it is it says all, all of these things. Turn your ears to wisdom and concentrate on understanding. Cry out for insight and ask for understanding. Search them as you would silver. Seek them like hidden treasure. Then you will understand what it means to fear the Lord and you will gain knowledge of God for the Lord grants wisdom. And I love this line. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He grants treasure of common sense to the honest. He is a shield to those who walk with integrity and he guards the path of the just and protects those who are faithful to him. When we settle our hearts to cry out for God's plan, when we settle our spirit to, to seek the wisdom and knowledge of God, not just for our head, but for our hearts so that we can live it out, so that it can impact the people that we're around, so that it can impact the lives that we touch every single day, so that it impacts not just our decisions, but when people see how we're making decisions, they start to go, why did you make that decision? Well, let me tell you. There's this amazing man named Jesus, and he entered my life, and the Holy Spirit has given me wisdom beyond my age so that I could live in a way that I have purpose and I have a plan that is given from God. And he protects us. And he guards our heart. It is a roadmap and a direction to live out the life God has intended for us. And yet we keep trying to go off road. Wisdom, knowledge, common sense, understanding are all ours if we just understand he is the source of truth. And can I tell you, we can't say that we believe in God and then do things opposite his word and will. We can't. I see it all the time. And it's, you know, I'm not judging. I'm just, I'm speaking truth this morning. It's 85% of people in America say they believe in God and yet we don't live as if he's real. We don't live as if Jesus came and died on the cross for our sins. We don't live in a way that it, it changes how we speak and how we think and how we love people. It should change us. Pastor Michael, who we're hoping will be here in February with us again to celebrate uh, our fifth birthday. 
He said this uh, one time, he said, do you pray for your, your, your people at your school? Do you pray that God would show you their pain and their hurts? I'm like, no. <laughs> Why would I do that? And he goes, start to pray like that. For two weeks, just prayed that. God, reveal the hurtness of my generation. And I remember walking onto my campus one day, and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Because I could look at somebody, and I could just feel the, the, the pressure of life and the depression of life and the worry of life and the stress of life on teenagers, my peers, because they didn't know who Jesus was. We have to come to the cross, and it's not just a one-time thing. It's a daily thing, and this is where I'll end with Luke 9, 23 through 25. Eric, if you want to throw some worship on lightly on the back. This is Jesus speaking. He said, then he said to the crowd, if any of you want to be my follower, you must, okay, let's highlight that word, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross daily and follow me. Mind you, he said this before he went to the cross. If you try to hang on to your own life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world, but are yourself lost or destroyed? You want to be a follower of Jesus that has very little to do with a prayer and has everything to do with a heart. You must give up of yourself and take up the cross, which is to say that we are daily going to sacrifice our own desires, wants, and wills for the glory of our God and the glory of the kingdom here on earth, that where you work will become a place where kingdom comes on earth as it is in heaven. And when you walk into a family environment, you're, you're, you carry the presence of God, so it shifts the atmosphere of, of family strife and family struggles and generational curses. That when you walk into a crowded room that would normally give anxiety and worry and stress, that you can reach out to the Father and say, God, I need your peace above all else in this moment. That when you're sorrowful and sad, it says that God will work through you and produce joy that comes in the morning. But that's only if you give yourself up for the glory of God. We all want to celebrate the child king as we get into Christmas, but most don't want to surrender to the Savior King. We, we, we like the, the Christmas story. A child born to release all humanity from sin, but we don't like the king that had to go to the cross and submit to him. Because one's cute and one's hard. One sweet baby Jesus in the manger with the cows and the, all the things that we've seen on the felt boards. Y'all know what I mean. We make it out to be a really cute story. Now, I want you, listen, if you've had kids, I want you to put yourself there. Put yourself there with no place to go. And your wife yelling at you because it wasn't probably cute. You did this to me. I guess Mary couldn't say that to Joseph, though. 
<laughs> that kind of ruins the whole plot. Because <laughs> Joseph's a really good man. <laughs> but she's, in her, not in, she's about to have a baby. You knew we had to go to Bethlehem. You knew the census was coming, and yet you didn't provide a way for our child to be born in a hospital, to be born in a nice and warm, cozy bed. And we would go, oh, but it's so cute. In the manger with the hay and the angels around and our three wise men, because they got to be three wise men, by the way, which is completely false. We have no clue how many wise men. Um, But we have this cute picture. You've been through that process. You know, there's nothing cute about it. But we want our Jesus to be cute and clean. The problem is, is that while we love to worship the child king, when it transfers over to the savior king on a cross who is saying, take up your cross daily and surrender your life, there is a lot that we have a a, a tough time with going from child king to savior king who ask much of us. The child king just asks, oh, come and let us adore him. Savior king says, come and take up your cross. Know your source so that your life can have purpose and meaning. I'll end with this quote that I actually read this morning as uh, I got a text message from a pastor, and it said this, the successful person places more attention on doing the right thing rather than doing things right. The successful person places more attention on doing the right thing rather than doing things right. In other words, it is a focus on being before doing. It'll be a follower of Christ. I'm going to be somebody who puts the source of my life in the hands of a savior and the Bible in which it was written for me. And no longer in social media or the news or politics or my emotions or opinions. Those are good things at times, but they will, be, they, they will come to the foot of the cross and they will be filtered through the Holy Spirit so that I live in a way that it has purpose and that I reach a community and I reach my fan, friend group and family group and I am a light for the world as Jesus wanted me to be. Not perfect, but striving for perfection and pointing people along the way. Will you pray with me this morning? God, as we finish the book of Proverbs, uh, no, by, by, by no stretch of the imagination have we do- dove into it in a way that would expound on all the treasures that are in it. But God, hopefully just to taste to make people want to go and say, what else is in this wonderful book of wisdom? And God, as we end today, the God that as we transition to this Christmas season, as we do worship a child king who becomes our savior king, the God that we would put our heart and trust and faith in the Father, that the source of life is found in you. You are the way, the truth, and the life. All men must come through Jesus to have relationship with the Father, and we should want to live our lives out in a way that shine the glory of God everywhere we go, that on earth it may be in heaven, wherever our feet touch. I pray for each and every person in this room this morning that we would go and we would make much of you by how we live our life, by how we think and by how we speak, by how we treat people. 
God, that, that people would stop and ponder and say, what is different about you? And we would have a solid answer of my source of life is Jesus. Every word he speaks is true. I want to stay on the path that guards and protects my life. When I get off of it, I want to ask for forgiveness that he might put me back into his place and keep walking with me. God, I pray that this week we would be a blessing to others, that we'd go before you and make much of your name and how we live. I bless those that are here. I pray your spirit over them. God, I pray that as we wind down the years, as we are always faithfully giving to the house, not to a person, not to anything else, that we are faithfully giving to you, your kingdom come on earth as it is here on earth through this church, that we would continue to be a blessing. We love you, Jesus. We give you glory and honor in your name we pray. Amen. 